0: The Australian federal election is coming up, and we thought we'd discuss why democracy is important and perhaps get into some of the nature of Australian politics. I'm here today with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. That's good. And I'm also here with a very special guest, Dr. John Bruni from Sage International Australia. How are you, John? Very good, thanks, Tim. It's good to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so like I I said in the introduction, we've got uh, a democratic uh, election coming up for a federal election for Australia. And it seems a bit of a mess, but I thought it's a good opportunity to talk about why it's important we have the opportunity to make a difference in this country if if you think that your vote makes a difference. Some people don't. I think this is an important thing you've just said.
1: We've got an election coming up. That's important. Mm. But why do we feel it's such a mess?
2: Mm. Because no, no one knows what they're doing.
1: Yeah, but we have an idea of democracy in our heads and how it should work and what it should achieve. Mm. And it's not getting to that. So almost from the very beginning, the important thing I think is there's an ideal of democracy. Australians often believe that because of our history of being a democracy so fast after settlement, of women getting the vote so early, or we weren't so good with indigenous people, they were wildlife until nineteen sixty six. Well sixty six, wasn't it? The yeah, vote it was 66, to make them, yeah. which is terrible. Yeah. But we got there. We do lots of things to make sure that, you know, politics is accessible, that democracy theoretically and practically probably works better here for citizens than most places on planet Earth. And why is it as three articulate, capable people, we're going grumble, 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 federal election? Mm.
2: Well, look, you know, I, I think that my, my set of grumbles happens to be because I I think that uh, democracy has atrophied to a great degree. Um, I think that if you look at, you know, the institution of the Senate, we don't have... Party structures per se, except for the you know the big two, the Liberals and the um, and and the uh, Labor Labor. Party, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know the the, to to use our Prime Minister's colourful term, um, the Muppet Show that we currently have in the Senate uh, is about about a bunch of other neer do well. Uh, egos. Mm -hmm. So our
1: representatives are unrepresentative.
2: Well, well, they're representative of themselves, but they're not representative of a (laughs) broader
1: group. So they're unrepresentative of the majority of us voting. Correct. Okay. So we've got our first way into why is the ideal and the reality so horribly separated from each other. Yeah, And I think this would be a really good thing to unpack first. Hmm. We think there was an ideal. Do the three of us think there was a point where the ideal was being actually lived out in practice i would argue that say for people who came back from world war Two, the period of menzies of mm. growth everything was fine made a lot of people happy the transition under whitlam to let's do something new let's be creative <laughs> made a lot of people but different people happy yeah and a lot of others nervous yeah but the, mm. the point is always someone's being excluded The most complicated thing in democracy is majority rule with minority consent. Mm. And that's the bastard bit, the minority consent. That takes proper compromise and sophistication. So we had the quote-unquote liberals happy under Menzies, Labour happy for a very short period under Whitlam, then no one particularly happy under Fraser, then a lot of people happy in the 80s to some degree with the modernization of Hawke Keating and the continued modernization of Howard, but also the idea that the golden period of Australia, of it's very comfortable and it's going to end well, gradually unraveling.
2: Well, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, um, once we ended in the, uh, the Rudd, Gillard, Rudd sort of situation something just went completely off in australian politics in terms of leadership and public expectation i think the parties themselves the major parties lost their way they started to believe the hype coming out of the media the 24-hour news cycle where if you get a dip in the polls all of a sudden we need to replace the leader they hit the panic button because oh my my goodness you know if we've got an election at some point in the next in the next few months if we don't have like a healthy uh, percentage over and above our opponents then you know this guy is going to lead us to defeat and so therefore we've got to get rid of them so
1: policy at some point went out of fashion and got replaced by a palatable leader
2: yeah yeah because politics now is all about ego as we were talking about the senate earlier you know, when we look at the main characters, you're you're looking at individual personalities, not party platforms. I mean, if you look at the the, the Palmer United issue, it's not about you know Palmer United. Oh, it's, it's not about a Palmer United party having a coherent no, it's policy. About it's about Palmer. you on side? And and you know, obviously, you know, you look at One Nation. You're looking at Pauline Hansen. You're not mm. talking about a party <laughs> per se. Mm. So it's almost like that. Each of these little minor parties are cult followings of sorts and i think that that's actually denigrated the idea of us voting for something that is of a collective good it's about an individual good mm. that we're voting for and Pol- i think that major parties are not immune to
1: this policy is difficult and requires it to be made well and us to analyze it well yeah whereas popularity contests we've all understood since kindy at age 4
2: and that that i think is what where the the australian political system is now we're at that stage where It is kind of like the large kindergarten in Canberra. Okay, and
1: I'm going to keep dragging this back to first precepts because this is what the coverage we'll get in the media will not do for the next month. It will waffle shit about, oh, no, we're offering this policy, we're offering this policy, and then journos will pretend to analyse those policies versus each other. But it will all be disconnected from the foundations. And that is that for decades Australians could analyse policy and they could select a government on the basis of policy, and parties competed over policy. And that's not to say there weren't personalities. But I do believe until probably the 90s, personalities were smaller in significance than policy.
2: Totally agree with you. I totally agree with
1: you. Tim, you're so much younger than us.
0: (laughs) How do you feel? You've only been in a world of personality Mm. seeming too big. Because, I mean, obviously it's easy to describe a government at least name it by the prime minister at the time yeah so you know, you've got the hawk government or you know you're going to say the john howard government for mm. instance however um in terms of elections i completely agree with uh, what john has said in that how different the public perception of what malcolm turnbull's government would be by comparison to tony abbott's government would be is is quite vast yet the party ideals remained the same. So we can look at Malcolm Turnbull being small L liberal, for instance. However, the end result was actually roughly the same as what it would have been under Tony Abbott just because everyone in that party wanted the same thing. So, for instance, on the gay marriage, I'm sure the gay marriage debate, which is kind of what his, his government was kind of defined by, I think, at least by public perception, is that he... He probably would have just wanted to pass it, but his party certainly did not want to do that. And so, so basically the media
1: and the population are getting sucked into a personality game Absolutely, and no longer seeing that what's behind it is continuity of structures of collectives. Mm. So, the irony is the parties are still collectives, mm. but at some level we've lost the capacity or willingness to assess politics from... What will be the impact of the political party's policies on us as a collective and instead of doing the popularity
2: contest of leaders? Mm. There's something here uh, that that needs um, a lot more attention, of course. Look, if we're talking about party policy... Essentially, there's not much separating Labour from Liberal, I mean, except mm. by degrees. So there's a great degree of bipartisanship. I mean, you know, from, on all matter of so-called controversial areas, mm-hmm. for instance, immigration. That's I so, mean, you yeah. would yeah. not get Bill Shorten coming up and slamming the Liberal leader, Morrison, over mm-hmm. immigration because if he were to take over, he was going, he's going to be doing exactly the same thing as Morrison. Mm-hmm. He will put a different spin on it for, the public, for public consumption. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we're much more humanitarian than, than the Liberal Party under Morrison would ever be. And that, that's great, but ultimately that's rubbish, and we know it's rubbish because they are going to be just as brutal and just as cynical as, uh, you know, the Liberal Party. And I think that... So if the policy platform is narrow... Yeah.
1: ..then it makes no sense for the population to pick on the basis of policy. Right. Because the policy has such a degree of pathetic uniformity... Yes. ..that never gets to core... Issues that affect the nature and future of society, the nature and future of the economy. That if we can't have policy, then we might as well make it the four-year-old popularity contest.
0: But I would. But small parties can have quite a considerable difference of policy. But do they have a broad policy? No, they don't. Base? This is this is the yeah. problem with small parties: is that they often only pick about five, six issues. I don't know, somewhere around that number. It'd be countable. Mm. Um, Yeah, one-hand type stuff. Exactly. That's right. And they're they're campaigning on on those specific issues when if they were to get in government, heaven forbid, I'm not sure they would have a holistic plan for actually being in government. No, because they're not coherent. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No. The only thing that sort of unifies the minor parties is that it's all about the leadership Mm. and it's all about the cult following under the leadership. Mm. Who's the Hansonite? who believes in Palmer United who believes in whatever other weird or deal or or di natale or, yeah. or what, what, whatever yeah. you know and really it comes down to that but i think you know fundamentally it all it's all about uh, lack of ambition as a nation there was a time where there was party discipline and david's quite right in mm. saying that you know i think that the golden age for us because we are Probably old enough to have lived through it mm. at a time or where it mattered. To see the end of it, well, yeah. well, we saw the end of it. We saw, yeah. you know, basically it's bookmarked by Hawke and Howard. Yeah, everything the, in between was terrific. End. That was mm. that was yeah. it. Mm. You know, and before that there was a, another golden age where there was party stability based on party discipline. Well, there is the no argue? party discipline yeah. now because if you can't back on the if you can't back a good leader, a capable mm. leader, a dare I say charismatic leader that mm. will appeal to sufficient portions of your constituents. You know, you're always going to be playing the media game where Mm. the media will capture the party and say, listen, your leader is not very popular now and will probably stand a very good chance of taking a hit. So get rid of him and put someone else in. Mm -hmm. So you're going to end up having this merry-go-round of leadership ad infinitum. That Mm. is not good. No, It's not good for the national interest. The argument's
1: been made multiple times in the US that the generation who went through World War II together, you know, made for better politics because they could do difficult things then you had to work together they and knew then you the had power past of collective difference. responsibility. Yeah. So yes. we can argue that we had the same thing here. Yeah. And a significant thing with that generation, so World War Two to late seventies mm. in most of the Western world is not only can they work with people who are different to them, not only are they willing to accept compromise, but they've also understand that politics was not your first career. In the main, you came to it having done Mm. something else for a while. Whereas the thing that changes in the Liberal Party, it really is with Howard and the Labor Party, it's with Keating. This is the first generation of career politicians. So they're heavily influenced by people with a deeper sense of collective identity, collective action – But
2: they are career politicians. So they're they're a pivot point. Yeah, you're so right. I remember having these, uh, you know, for your listeners, I will make a confession. I was a card-carrying member of the Liberal Party back in my youth when things were quite not as... Wow, well, crap! Dysfunctional, now. <laughs> yeah, mm. crap. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. But I, I recall having uh, um, these debates with colleagues, you know, back in the day about how the Labour Party started this situation where we had career politicians who who went straight from university, got themselves a seat, or mm. they went from university into the public service and then they got themselves a seat. So they they, unions, had, yeah. they had they yep. had no sense of what the yeah exactly. They had no mm. sense of what the real world is. They they had their bubble. They stayed in their bubble mm. and. And they went straight from, mm. you know, unrealistic expectations in their bubble straight into politics, and it kind of allowed the liberals to give these guys a free hit because in the Liberal Party they held out a little longer than the mm. Labour Party. Another on five
1: this. to ten years yeah. before it was uni straight to correct major company yep. or working for an MP. So the path of working for an MP has always been normal, mm. but in both cases, both parties found other ways to get people that five to ten years. Of artificiality, mm-hmm. as they were groomed to then become career politicians. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, and 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 the the idea of you know the post World War Two generation looking at politics as an amateur exercise. You know, there were no professionals coming through the ranks, and I think that that was good because the the electorate would be able to see these guys as people who weren't necessarily there just for the job and the perks, but they actually gave a toss about what they were doing, whether it be for their party or for their country, and in many cases for both, Mm. which was a good thing for this nation. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that in our current generation. It's
1: careerist in all parties now, excluding the small ones, and yet the small ones are focused on leadership. Correct. So, again, back to absolute basic precepts again. How did the parties get here? You know, John, you were a liberal member. You know, I thought about joining the Labour Party multiple times. So many of my friends <laughs> did. Most of them didn't last any more than three years in the party before they threw their hands in the air and walked away going, it's a machine that takes you in as a person at one end and by the other end you're in a, a hamburger who knows how to behave. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and that's the same for all parties now. Mm. There is no difference. The machine works. Mm. Mm. When did we surrender as a society Our control over the parties by being the people that made the parties and being the people that kept the parties vibrant because to say that the parties have become anachronistic and narrowly defined and self-interested was true they can't hide from that now labor have tried to grow and change liberals have done some reforms too but the reality is the majority of us either will never be involved have been involved and quit or were going to get involved, took one look at the horror story and said, I don't want to become the the machine hack that I would have to be to move forward. How and when did society as a whole stop influencing the parties in a positive way? When did they become narrowly defined? Mm. Did this happen before the transition to professional politicians or slightly after? I'm going to argue that my understanding of the history is probably slightly after, that it was the mid to late 80s before the parties started being affected by the professional politicians, where that was their career, who then started picking mini-me's to come after them.
2: Is that what you saw in the Liberal Party, John? Yeah, look, um, I I have to say that uh, my experience in the Liberal Party was actually quite a positive one up until the early 1990s because we were still... In, here in South Australia we, we were still operating under the premise that you know a handful of people a, hand, a handful of good people with the right motivation can actually make a difference and that isn't to say that the Liberal Party didn't have its own internal problems you know here the SA division of the Liberal Party was always caught up in a civil war of one description or another you know whether it between the so called unofficial divisions between wets and dries or between various personalities of leading contenders at the time you know because you had Doyle. Deut- Ends of old families and it was very feudal and sometimes they hated each other's guts and that could be a source of dysfunction. But overall, there was still that idea that good people can still make a difference. There but was then, a percolating dynamism still. Yes, yes there okay. was. But then I noticed in the early 1990s that started to, that started to sort of fall apart. Um, it, it, it became very obvious to me, I think at about 1992, that whatever ambitions that I may have had moving on in the Liberal Party and, you know, I I was in the party and I'd had, you know, various positions and I thought that my time in the party would be actually quite well spent by throwing my hat in the ring full time. Mm. But, you know, there was a cracking of the edifice locally and it did not sit well with me at all. And look, honestly, I never really bought into... The, the, the sort of wet and dry argument. that was always a bit of a centrist at heart. And I couldn't understand why the... It was ideology that kind of broke the structure irre, irrevocably. And then for myself, I remember my dad and I went to a Liberal Party State Council function and uh, then leader John Houston was trying to sell the GST at a time that uh, myself, um, as one of the regional presidents, you know, understood the nature for tax reform. And we ended up having to import Peter Reith uh, to give a talk about that because Houston just was not – he was not cutting It through. just wasn't clear. He was he yeah. was an economics professor who failed dismally. And my dad and I <laughs> were sitting back, you know, listening to Houston try to unpack the GST, and this is after the Mike Willacy. Yeah, the the cake the cake, yeah, the cake interview, and and, and and you know we just we just thought, look, you know, where, where are we going here? And so I think that was at that point, in about 1993. Yeah, it was 1993. Then I I decided to hang up my bootstraps and walk.
1: Mm. Yeah. So something happens where the professional politicians perhaps change the nature of the party, also the nature of ideology. So the next thing I want to sort of potentially add here is a. core thing that's going on is the world's never been simple Mm. but the more complicated it becomes the harder it is to shuffle all the pieces and make sense of it all Mm. so if in doubt have a cohesive ideology Mm. rather than a messy understanding Mm.
0: Mm. yeah because you should be able to apply that ideology to every single situation it's a bit like a we should if
1: it's a virtue ethic but if it's a crap ideology then no mm. and what we seem to have had since the early 90s is if in doubt, never let the messiness of life get in the way of the party ideology.
2: Yeah, but hang on a sec. If we end up having ideology, aren't we returning to the bad old days where we actually have like a government and an opposition that actually disagree on fundamental issues? <laughs> well, they get no, actually elected based
1: on their policies? Mm. So what we're seeing here is a combination mm. of things, of confluence in the major parties, <laughs> oh. and that is a confluence of professional politicians who know nothing else but wanting this as their career, mm. a pointless centerism, that's moving on mass to the right.
0: Mm. Well, by an international scale, it is. Yeah, it is yeah. 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 definitely
1: um, that has such similar policies. It really doesn't matter. Mm. Um, an ideological cohesion on at least two thirds of everything parliament discuss mm. and society talks about. So the irony is in a in a civilization fixated, in a country fixated on individualism we've actually got such a profound level of uniformity that it makes politics demoralizing
2: so 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 is the idea of democracy then dead not only in australia but internationally throughout the west for instance if we're seeing things like trump brexit you know our own uh, political dysfunctions become the new normal what does that mean for the average citizen well i want to spin the that and say
1: it's the exact opposite that if people are getting angry enough to to vote for trump mm-hmm. They're going, this isn't what I want. I don't want useless uniformity. Professionals who don't get anything done, who can't get past ideology and see that there are deeper issues. So, you know, we have the whole Woken movement and I don't want to go anywhere near (laughs) it unless I can have a flamethrower to take them out with. (laughs) Because most people know Woken are not very awake, they're just mean. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What I want instead is to say, more and more people know this isn't working. And I, I want to give Tim a chance because we've been mm. talking over you. No, that's you know, th- The significance of compulsory voting. <laughs> mm.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, is this our way oh,
1: back from the brink? Yeah.
0: In, in America, perhaps. Um, so, for instance, they, their average since 1948 of voter turnout is about 59% of the population. So this is a whole 40%, which could obviously sway an, an election massively. Um, as opposed to Australia, who has compulsory voting, we get an average of about 94% turnout. Mm. Now, it's pretty anti-liberal, though, to make them come and vote. And I think perhaps the most simple rebuttal to this is something that Winston Churchill said, which was um, the greatest argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> this from the hyper-aristocrat.
1: Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah, and I think it's such a cop-out to come back to this if everything every every one of these issues come back comes back to education but you know i i I foresee or i could imagine rather a system in australia where instead of having useless educational programs like research project or whatever it is that we had compulsory political education so that high school students went out into the world actually had an understanding about what their parties represented as opposed to Uh, labor is reckless spending and and like is good on arts and health or liberals are just better economic managers and maybe we have a balance of the both where they're in power each for eight years so that... Do you want
1: kids to understand the parties or do you want them to understand how the system works so they can see what happens if they don't contribute? Both, for sure. Yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So like I think Australia, whilst maybe the last few years is not a great example, is... A good account of why compulsory of, of compulsory voting working because most of our history it's done exactly what it was meant
1: to do absolutely to make sure there was as broader representation even in a system with two major parties mm. mm-hmm. the representation was still much higher than nearly anywhere else in the world yeah. in terms of having a little bit of everyone's opinion within the factions in those major parties
0: the the question is whether their opinion is educated enough to be actually democratic. Um, I don't want to sound misanthropic there, but it's like...
1: Well, are the potential leaders educated enough to want to represent their constituents rather than enjoy their professional career? Mm. See, I feel (sighs) we're at the point now where I do not believe that our quote-unquote, you know, leadership group care less about the constituents. Mm. It is their career choice to be leaders.
2: They build their empires and and they stand by them,
1: and we suffer the consequences Absolutely. because we don't get involved enough. We don't stack the parties. We don't cause dynamic
2: ferment in the system. It's kind of like the 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 fall of the Roman Republic being replaced by a, a, a bunch of little little Caesars in in the Senate, and you know they're all throwing <laughs> their weight around. But yeah, there's yeah. No, there's no sense of mm. purpose anymore other than. What's in it for them? It, it's, it's it's almost as if our political situation has gone from democracy to oligarchy, sure. but not even oligarchy. It, it doesn't do. It doesn't deserve. <laughs> it deserves something stronger. Well, I think we've got a caste. We've mm, got a ruling yeah. caste mm. of, of principal players who are all driven by their hip pocket, mm. uh, you know, and their careerism. Yeah. And I think that that is not good for us. Well, no. let's,
1: let's jump to John Ralston Saul in his book *Unconscious Civilizations*, which he wrote in the mid-1990s, arguing that in most of the developed world, we were losing people who were interested, cared, educated and wanted to get good outcomes Mm. and wanted to change and grow and develop systems societies and that they've been replaced by a managerial class whose only purpose is to make the machine continue to go around in the way it does and privilege their position.
2: That sounds like the European Union. Oh, did I say that out loud? Well, he made the argument (laughs) in the late
1: 90s that leaders with visions were pretty much dead and gone in the Western world. Mm. That what you had was managerial groups who could maintain a system, perpetuate a system, come up with all the justifications for why doing any more than that was a danger to the effective running of the pre-existing system.
0: So is the system that these leaders have to go through Causing the visionaries um, to, to have some kind of disillusion. Are, are the motivated people that we actually want to be in power, as opposed to the egotists or the careerists? Are they being discouraged by the overpopulation okay, well, of egotists and well, careerists? Let's
1: work out here that we've probably got three groups. We've got people with vision. Mm-hmm. We've got egotists, mm-hmm. and we've got just a managerial group mm-hmm. who can make the system continue to go around I think we need to be careful not to overemphasise. That the people in leadership in democracies are demagogues Mm. because they're not otherwise they'd be authoritarian dictatorship (laughs) in the main what we've got is people with just enough competence to make the machine go round, and so little vision that nothing really gets any better who try and spin that they've got personality and charisma and a vision even though they don't which is why they all look centrist so I think the biggest group is John Ralston Saul's group Of managers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the media spin them and the parties spin them to make them look a bit more competent and a bit more interesting which they aren't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the group that loses out completely are those that can imagine better and the new because the path to be a professional politician involves a minimum of a ten-year commitment to fitting the party structure
2: yeah by which
1: time you're bought and paid for exactly and you either fit and will be given Mm pre-selection or do not fit and you walk away, and I know a heck of a lot more talented people who've walked away than I know talented people who are still in.
2: So, party structures now are bereft of people of imagination yeah. and ambition. Mm. And well, I think no, that
1: they've got ambition well, to be managers of the system and to pretend
2: they have a personality and vision. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. L- l- let me take a step back. <laughs> but Strate- no vision, st- strategic ambition yeah. maybe is, is is the best yeah. way of putting it. So that you know, you you can have an individual who will work for the collective and who will energise the collective because not only do they have a personality. That you know is conducive to that, but they have ideas that can that can act as memes, driving yeah. people mm-hmm. to the polls because they want to elect this person because this person represents a collective con- yeah. construct, right? Yeah, we don't have that. No. So what we have at the <laughs>
1: moment is we have compulsory voting, mm-hmm. but we don't have compulsory inclusion of a sufficient range of diversity. What we have is structures that are limiting the diversity. And we get all excited when we get a new minority in parliament, one person who's come up through the party system. Mm. They do not reflect anything other than a change in the window dressing.
2: The well, party was not affected by one person. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, the spurious debates that are going on currently about, you know, how many women do you want in parliament? Well, look, you know, we can get rid of all the men, for instance, mm-hmm. and in an ideal world maybe that's not a bad thing. <laughs> but if we get, get rid of all the men and stack them with women who think just like the men... Will the party be the, any different? The and party, party will our question not be here. any different. Again, audience,
1: <laughs> don't get stroppy at the three of us. We're not saying that, you know, that we want to turn parliament on its head and make it single gender the point we're trying to make is would it make any difference as long as the parties are still in control Mm. and still pick who gets pre-selection
0: which is not a reason to avoid having equal representation i would actually
1: argue let's push for equal representation of Mm. genders simply because it will make it harder for parties to find hacks Mm. because they haven't trained up enough hacks
2: Mm. But 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 you've got this uneasy balance in oh, yeah. any par- in any party, you know, whether it be a left leaning party or a right wing uh, right leaning party, that once you join a party, there is an expectation that you follow the party line, and the way up the slippery slope uh, in any party is to, you know, dress down what you may or may not think of the party in order that you are seen. To be a player, yeah, and if you and if you do that, I mean, again, you're propagating what the party is today, not what as it what it should be, it should yeah. be yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so there you have this 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 awful tension where you're you're caught in a trap, and you can't, unless you break the party structure entirely, you can't let. The so-called diversity, and um, you know, I I really don't like the to use the word diversity no, it's because you know, it's like tolerance. It's, it's, it's a it's terrible tolerance, word. Tolerance, multiculturalism, mm. diversity—all yeah. these things. What we want is inclusion, and
1: engagement, and embracing difference, right? So that we're more representative of all of us.
2: I, I would like to think cosmopolitan is not an old-style irrelevant term, but I think I like it catches... the old meaning of
1: the word, not how it's currently taught. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly.
2: Right. So if we were to look at that, then I have no problems. I don't care what the colour of the parliament happens to be, either from a gender perspective, from an ethnic perspective, or anything else. Mm. But the fun the fundamental issue is that we're not driving identity politics in mm. parliament, which is another very destructive thing that we're seeing at the moment. Mm, yeah. So if you happen to be gay, you're in there because you're a gay guy. Not because you're an awesome politician. Not because politician you can actually reach out Australia. to mm. non-gay people and say, hey, yeah. listen, I've got an idea, and that idea works in the heteronormative sense as well as for the gay community. Mm. We don't have this ki- these kind of points mm. of can connectivity, if you will. So if you're a gay person, you're a gay person doing gay things for the party, That whatever the party wants to do with gay things. That's it. If you happen to be an ethnic person of whatever descent, you are an ethnic person and you are seen and treated by the media as an ethnic representative of that party. Mm, yeah. That has to stop. And, and this is where the political incorrectness of my comments will come through because at some time we have to start, we, the people, however we are constructed or construed, we are all born to this polity. So therefore, we have to start thinking ourselves of this polity, not alien or hostile Mm. to it. Mm. Because the only difference that we can make as individuals is by making sure that people know that we exist as part of this entity, not as a separate hostile other. Because the opposition, the political opposition, isn't the individual who happens to be non-heteronormative or of, you know, Sudanese extraction or, mm. you know, is a, is a, is a you know, feminazi, to put another word, you mm. know, those kind of extreme elements, mm. uh, you know, we see that on display in, in things like, uh, I don't know, Insight on SBS or, or, or Q&A. Your on q and Let's massively know, over a weird it, way and please. make it look weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Rather yeah, than yeah. say, yeah. who is the diversity and what's the real issues?
1: So we're really at a point here where it seems we've got exactly where I wanted to call precepts, mm. and that is, Getting us all to vote is great, mm. but we're not getting enough people to be involved to make sure that politics is a genuine ferment yeah. of difference and inclusion. Mm. Mm. There's no room for you to be there just because you've got a good idea. You have to be there to fulfill a personality profile role for the parties, which means our politics is mediocre.
2: Uh, look, okay, question to uh, both <laughs> both you, David, and to Tim. How much of a role does media have in terms of propagating this pig ignorance, for, for lack of well, a better word?
1: Personality politics. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Tim, you're the media guy and we've been jumping all over and not letting you talk. That's so. all right. <laughs>
0: okay. You're sorry, I, think, I think two things I want to bring up. So one is this narrative of kind of loss in visionaries and, and trying to formulate or um, construct a political personality – I think also aligns with the same thing happening in the media where you have media journalist personalities who are also trying to yeah form, form some kind of ego or, or career they're just based on... Yeah, rather yes, than a reporter. That's exactly right. right. And so it okay. becomes more about the questions they're going to ask yeah. and how they're asking them. For instance, Lee Sales, for as well composed and let's say skillful as she is, I think is an example of someone that you can expect to ask similar kinds of questions to similar kinds of people in similar kinds of ways, and that is an identity as opposed to her being a genuinely inquisitive person. Her
1: political Mm. identity means that you know exactly what she's going to ask. Listeners, if you want to see her world being rocked, go and find her interview with Stan McChrystal just Mm. after he's retired from the U.S. Army. And she's gone into the interview thinking it's a general. I'm not going to like him, and I'm not going to interview him in a nice mm. way. Mm. And ends up being totally charmed by the fact he gives completely candid answers. Mm. Mm. And it does a hit in. That's obvious <laughs> in the interview. That's why
2: it's so much fun. No one one of the mm. other one of the other uh, pet peeves that I have, and I, it's kind of like a drug. You know, you watch it because it is like the human train wreck that it is. The Channel Ten project, yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> it's like every time you see it, I get so frustrated. And yet, it's it's like watching the bold and the beautiful. You know, it's one of those guilty pleasures that you watch only because you know you want to kick the TV screen in. Oh yeah. And yeah. every time I see these guys, you know, and it doesn't matter how smart they, they're always too smart, and they're mm, always too opinionated, too polished, and, and, and too consistent. And the, mm. the contrivance that Channel Ten puts these young people as a. As a um, a reflection of young people across Australia, mm. no, they're a they're a narrow spectrum issue.
0: Unrepresentative. I of the have majority of us. this big problem. Okay, sorry. You were bringing up before about how if you were part of a, a party or a card holder, you were expected to follow a party line. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was finding a similar kind of identity politics as a voter, where I, for some reason, ended up in this in this position where I thought really hard about my democratic responsibilities and thought as a young person I need to be representative of the majority of young people Mm. and so for a very long time was voting way left like Mm. voting greens to every opportunity that I could because I thought it was representative of my demographic of your cohort and I thought that I had the responsibility to represent my people yep however not true at all it should actually reflect if, if most people it comes back to what kind of society that we want yeah and if we want most people to be, ha- the majority of people to be happy with the system that they're in, which I think is probably the goals or at least a result of a democracy yeah. um, by a majority vote, then each person needs to vote to their individual needs. And not and, their tribe. Yeah, their, exactly. Their
1: individual needs having analysed policy. Mm-hmm. And if everyone does that, we'll get the biggest spread of perspective and the highest demands on what we expect from our political system.
0: And, and ultimately, yeah. the vote will end up in most people and at least the majority of people being happy. And we're you more would, likely you would, then you to get
1: minor, you know, minority consent mm. taken into consideration because we'll have a better idea of what people need and want.
2: Yeah, for, for all mm. of that, of course, we need a we need a degree in civics you know, yeah. <laughs> at, at school. But I, I think that we have to go one step further because I think that if you look at the universities across Australia, they also propagate this kind of cotton woolly fluffy idea of what (laughs) democracy is all about i remember you know back in the old (laughs) back in the old days oh god i'm giving my age away but anyway back in the old days you know i was uh, uh how was at Flinders University and I mean you know Flinders University back in the time that I was doing my undergraduate and graduate and you know whatever I I, I felt as though that I was in Marxist Lenin you know Lenin <laughs> town quite frankly but
0: none, nonetheless. All
2: the lights are red all but, the but, walls are red. But what it, happened? But it was, it was good in the sense that I came from the opposite, the exact opposite of where they came from and mm-hmm. funnily enough the kind of discussions that we had were very open, very robust or better
1: because of the diversity <sighs> of opinion. And
2: I, I always reflect yeah. on my time at Flinders University it's, you know, as, as a time of growth um, because I learned a lot. But I think that my opponents probably learned not to dismiss... They the, had to deal their, with
1: what mm, they didn't mm, know yeah. and what the, was uncomfortable. So it, it was, it was yeah. a
2: real uh, push and pull kind of uh, situation to be in. But it was, it was great. It was mm-hmm. great and it was exciting you know, because you could test your ideas and yeah. you could reassess those ideas. Uh, as a student, that's that's very important, but also as a political operator, that's important as well. Because mm. what it did is it gave me an insight that my Liberal Party colleagues at the time simply didn't have about the left. So, you know, I could sort of process stuff and I grew as a political animal as a consequence of that. Yeah. So I didn't just stay uh, in my little track with my small-minded opinion about, you know, my party, my tribe, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I, I could I could break out and see things from a bigger perspective... And, you know, those things that I thought were really near and dear to me, I kept hold of mm. those things that I thought were... Mm, you grew and evolved as you learnt more. Mm. Exactly. And I think that that is something that I think all parents should teach their children, mm. uh, irrespective of where they come from on the political spectrum, mm. because they become better citizens.
1: So if voting is compulsory, yeah. we seem to be getting... You know, we probably need to think about getting to an end point soon or we'll just keep <laughs> ranting <laughs> at the universe. But yeah. it seems what we're leaning towards is we can't be satisfied with democratic politics in Australia Mm. until people are more able and more willing to engage at a personal level Mm. and it be less about identity politics in politics. Mm. We need to take our experience to inform how we assess policy Mm. and we pick policy which means certain people end up in parliament. Mm. This needs to move away from being about people. We need politics to be a ferment of the new challenging the old, mm. of potential change demanding of the system that it justifies why it isn't changing.
2: And we can't be afraid of no, opposing it, it ideologies and, and ideas, mm-hmm. you know, because at the moment, <laughs> you know, again, taking the university example, you know, uh, any sort of strongly opposing viewpoint cannot be put forward because you might be afraid of offending somebody Mm. well you know I'm sorry but politics is all about the argy-bargy of ideas it's all about the you know people back in the 1920s and 30s would take to the streets and punch each other up over whether or not Mm. you know they were left wing right wing or something in the middle Mm. And, uh, and, and, and like I'm not proposing for a moment that we go back to those more violent times Mm -hmm. but what i'm saying is that you know the idea of being comfortable in one's own skin being able to stand for a particular idea and being able to comfortably engage in dialogue with someone who is of the opposing side is a sign of great sophistication Mm -hmm. and growth
0: it's I think there's a big problem this comes back to the media thing I think there is a, a, a large part of this is very performative that people have to associate to certain kinds of ideology certain kinds of yeah. issues because it is performative to the people in, in perhaps their tribe um, yeah. and different kinds of tribes that are not necessarily politically defined yeah. so um just as a young person and not necessarily in a political way it is highly performative to be in favor of quite a lot of progressive social issues mm. and you may not necessarily have thought about it very deeply it's just that that is the cool thing to do mm. and I wonder how much again I, I, I don't want to be too misanthropic but I wonder how much falling into certain kinds of thinking or thoughts is a result of uh, the people in which you hang around with and the media in which you consume um, and how much of it is actually deep thought about it and then coming to your own decision? Because no,
1: deep thought takes time and quiet, and how do you get time and quiet in a world of screen, social media mm. and media media? So everything required to sit and read a policy document and think about it. Yeah. Who's going to
2: stop? Well, David, as, as um, you know, because I do listen to Blind Insight, here's a shameless plug for your podcast. I do listen <laughs> to it, and I know that you're a fan of uh, Kahneman and you know his yeah. book, Thinking Fast and, and Slow. slow. Mm. And 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 frankly, this is all what it's about, right? Yeah. So you know, at the moment, we've got thirty second attention spans, whether it be in the media and the way that they present things, mm. or whether it be yeah. as a consumer at the other end of the spectrum, we're just overloaded with stuff. And you know, yeah. quite frankly, we don't have the time, or we don't give sufficient time to the choices that we make in life. So really it's about us being able to slow down and process stuff before we make the strategic decision and leap into the unknown.
1: Yeah, politics needs to be system two thinking. Yeah. Mm. We're doing politics on personality and performativeness Mm. as a system one intuitive response, intuitive behavior. Mm. And that doesn't work. Mm. We're getting middle-of-the-road mediocrity. Mm. Now, we're getting middle-of-the-road mediocrity for all sorts of reasons we've covered today. But if people want to bust out of this and at least know why you're frustrated, know why you're not pleased with where we're heading, you know, get to system two. Think it through. Slow it down. Make it about the ideas, not about the performance. Make it about the policy platform, not about you know the personality of the shiny suit.
0: Mm. we got
1: to start somewhere.
0: It's hard because in having these conversations with people who maybe I consider less interested in politics or at least despondent, it is one, hard to be interesting and two, hard to not feel condescending. And I think maybe that is an issue that politicians have come across and then faced by playing to. They play to personality because that way they will be noticed. And the narratives. You know, yeah. um, Scott Morrison recently said that he. Basically, criticizing the Rudd government after the GFC, mm. and you know, this is a government that is pretty well world renowned for yeah. skipping and the GFC. And he did get away
1: with it because most Australians don't know enough about what happened, right? Or yeah. care.
0: And all he has to do is play to this narrative of Labor is not good economic management. Yeah, and um,
1: Labor are so dense, but they also they can't go. Well, this is what we did, and guess what? We came through the GFC better than everybody. Mm. But the point is, even. If they said it, who'd listen? Mm. The people who know know, and does anyone else want to know? Oh God, we're getting to the point of maybe agreeing with <laughs> Churchill.
0: I don't yeah. want to agree with Churchill. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to force us that way. I no, guess no, the we, conclusion look, we have would to be there. the conclusion would be what what methods? What can we use in terms of uh, us personally and the people around us, or as a society, to encourage people? in a positive way to take more interest or be motivated to do some uh, system two thinking. To me, it has to come down to that
1: thing. If you want it to be different, then you have to do something different. Mm -hmm. And students have asked me for all the years of teaching, David, why don't you go into politics? And I go, because I didn't join a party when I was 20 and I'm not willing to follow the party line. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm here to make sure that you know enough to ask difficult questions when I'm dead. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, the long game of another 20 people who can go, no, I don't believe you. I'm not affected by the personality politics. Scare-
2: mm. Skepticism in politics is a price. Uh, so hard-fought and yet it's so useful to us because we can't believe everything that we're given. And you given. need to be sceptical, mm. not yeah. cynical. Yeah, that's and It right. would
1: seem to me that we're getting, cynical. as a country, on the verge of being cynical, which means mm. we'll start shutting off soon. And maybe that's why we're doing this podcast this morning mm. and we all sound so animated but mm-hmm. tense because mm. we are going from sceptical to cynical. And yeah. it's cynical, <laughs> things will work even less well. It's cynical and
2: disinterested.
1: Yeah, and, and that's and the
2: great fear is that we end up there. So, so getting back to the and, and helping you wind up the podcast as well, because I mean I think we can talk about this for another yeah, three, for another hours, three hours. Yeah, another three hours. But um, you know, just to 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 help wind things up, if we go back to the original premise, and that is, you know, about um, the idea of you know compulsory voting on the one side mm. and volunteer voting on the other, which is which is better. And I think that from a from a theoretical perspective, it's always better for the individual to exercise, to feel as though the, the, the political system that they're part of has that individual responsibility inherent in them. It's their burden, but they have to go to the polls. Yes. Not because the government compels you, but because it is in their interest and the interest of their children to go out there and do the right mm, thing. Yeah. Now, we don't have that. And I think that the system is particularly apathetic because the system has atrophied it's sclerotic Mm. there's there's an expectation almost a grudging oh my god we've got an election on the 18th of May for god's sakes I had so many other plans that I'd want to do but I've got to make time to go and stand in a queue and maybe pissing down with rain it may be really uncomfortable I've got my kids with me oh my god what am I going to do with them standing in a queue waiting for a crappy little hot dog you Mm. know there are all kinds of things that play in our consciousness when we are, you know, preparing for this this great event. Mm. And in actual fact it should be a an individual duty to community, to nation and to self mm. to Do better to better the system and we're just not we are not in that game so we've got a cynical and disinterested public that are forced to vote Mm. for people who should not be within a bull's roar of power Mm. generally speaking Mm. for parties that have no ideology or are so narrowly defined that Mm. they're bleeding into one caste Mm. Mm.
1: and a managerial caste which means it can't get so really we we touched on civics so many times but the only hope to deal with this is civics correct is to get people to understand you're a citizen and with it comes the obligation Mm. to contribute to the system remaining or regaining dynamism Mm. because we ain't dynamic and we're not dealing with big problems. Yeah, no, we're not. And it's either civics or entropy. Mm. So Mm. That's really the choice, civics or entropy.
0: Mm. So maybe a quick tip that I would give for this coming election because that's quite a long-term solution is there are resources out there like political compass, vote compass and mm. i side with is probably the best one. Mm. Now these are websites that you can go to and then it will give you a list of maybe 40 50 questions and you can just go yes no or you can yep. go into as much detail as you would like. i side with will allow you to put the importance of each issue yep. on it and it will spit out which party you most agree with. Yep. Possibly a little bit reductionist, but for someone who is maybe cynical about how they're receiving their information from the media is at least maybe a more independent way to come to your conclusion. What well, you get them to, to go from
1: system one thinking to system two? Definitely. And if they can slow down and go, what do I believe? What do I value? Mm. That's the point towards re-engaging more effectively because yep. mm. you know what you want mm. and why you want it. And that's the beginning of a, a kind of an individual form of civics rather than a socially defined form. But it's got to start somewhere. It starts with getting from personality politics and identity politics to slowing down, thinking it through, who am I, what do I want to do, how do I want to do it, what kind of society do I want to be in. Even Mm. if you only ask the deep question for the three minutes of going through this process of answering the questions on a website, that's a start Mm. and a start that will make all three of us happy.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yay make us happy audience <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely all right gentlemen thank you very much for joining us today i think we've got some way i think we'll possibly in the future go into a little bit more analysis about some of the economic stuff and maybe even get into some some of our personal opinions about parties but yeah see and how how we come
1: back after the election and worked out what happened yeah
0: <laughs> why not Right, thank you very much, John. Uh, you can also check out John, uh, Dr. John Bruni's work with Sage International Australia. John and myself and David actually also work on another podcast called Strategicon All in Caps, which you can also find on the Ozcast Network. Well, thank you very much for joining us, guys. Thanks very much, Thanks, Tim. Tim.
1: Hello, listeners. You didn't think you were going to hear me after the end of the music, did you? I'm here today to say we now have merchandise. You can have a Blind Insights t-shirt. You can have a Blind Insights pin. You can have a Blind Insights hoodie. You can have a Blind Insights coffee cup. All you need to do is go to auscast-network.myshopify.com and click on Blind Insights and you can see all our products. Thank you very much to the Ozcast network for their support and making this happen.